If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is God's word. First John chapter 5. Um, if you've got a Bible, First John chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Um, today we're wrapping up the whole year of First John. So we started at the beginning of the year and we said, let's really slowly walk through this book and try to tease out all of its, its elements. And, and so today, since it's the last Sunday of 2019, it'll be the last time we're in First John. And look at we finished the book. Way to go, guys. That was all you. Um, so if, if you don't have a Bible, and, and that's why you're not turning there, we have some free ones up in the library. The library is the book of shelves in the foyer. It's fancier if you say library. Um, <laughs> And really, we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. So 1 John chapter 5, 19 through 21. We know we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life, little children Keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for creating Mission Church, bringing us all into it. We thank you for your word and the story that you've written for eternity, and we thank you that you love us. And we ask now that as we dig into Scripture and and talk about the things that you have inspired, Holy Spirit, that Uh, you would give us wisdom and enlighten our hearts and minds. We also want to hold this loosely. If you have something different planned, uh, we want to follow you in that. And so I I hold the sermon loosely, Lord. We also ask that you keep our minds focused and our hearts open. Help me to be clear and to the point and to say what you would want, not what I think. And we praise you for being good and wonderful. In your name, amen. Uh, so the, the initial thought was that I would kind of use this, these little verses to give an overview of the entire book of 1 John, um, to kind of look at the first half, and John is really built into two different sections. Um, the, the style writing as well is really interesting, but the first section is, is kind of really pressing on the point that God is light. And so you see this worked out, and, and the way it's written is called amplification. It's, a, it's an old way of writing, and so he has this idea that God is light, and he looks at it through a bunch of different lenses and, and facets of life. And, and that goes till chapter 3, verse 10-ish. And then 3.11, he begins to look at God as love and, and how that works out in all these different aspects of our life. And, and then I was going to look at the incarnation because uh, John is really combating this false teaching that, 
that had arisen in the church that Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. Um, or maybe it was that his spirit like left him at the cross and there's some, some odd things that were going on. And so maybe look at, man, Jesus, God became a man. He had real skin and actually walked around and had a real physical ministry. I mean, John starts out with like, I saw him, I touched him. Like, I know these things are true. Um, and, and I was building that out. Uh, well, I guess you did kind of give an overview just now. There you go. I, uh, both things worked. Um, I, I got stuck on the last verse in this epistle. Uh, and it struck me. And I couldn't really get around it. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why did he write that? I mean, that is a weird way to close a letter. That's what this was. This is a letter to the churches. And, and usually, you know, what you'd find here is a final greeting, you know, tell this person who said hi and, and, or, or a benediction, like, man, here's a good word for you or praise to God. And, and John doesn't do any of that. He just kind of slips in this sentence, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And I thought, man, that's, that's bothersome. That's weird. Like, why do you do that, John? I talked to John a lot. might not be good, apparently. And so then I thought, well, there's got to be a reason that, that he's coming through. And so I'm looking through, and I I'm, I'm read the book, and I thought, there's not a, a single place he mentions idolatry. Not one in the whole book. We've been in this book for a year, and we have not had to preach on the word idol. So that's two weird things that he's done. So that really bothered me. Um, why, what is his point with this? He just doesn't give us a benediction, doesn't give us a closing. He, he just gives us a command, a command that is seemingly not connected to anything else. And so I thought, wow, man, I should really study up on that and research that. And that led me down to eight hours of a rabbit hole that I'm not going to talk about. So that was time well spent. Um, and, and at the very least... What I know is that this is meant to shock us. This is an attention grabber. John, John must have put this in here to jolt us, to make us ask some questions. And, and it's in a line of thought that is laying down some very heavy statements. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to look at these three verses and kind of understand the context of the book and maybe the gospel of John a little bit. And I just want to ask, why did he write, little children, keep yourselves from idols? And so we're going to do that by looking at three things, because there's three verses. Uh, number one, we're going to look at a, a worldview. Number two, a different understanding. And number three, hope. So a worldview, a different understanding, and hope. And each one of these things, each one of these verses bring up huge, huge concepts. And so they can be worked out in a lot of different ways. Um, so I'm really just going to kind of give you an overview. Uh, so let's start with a worldview. First John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That is more difficult than keep yourselves from idols. I mean, 
Do you really believe that? Like, legitimately, does anybody believe that? Do you think about that? Do I believe that? I mean, that's a hard statement. That's a scary statement. That is very, very dark. But it, it makes sense of things, right? There's suffering in the world. There's starvation. There's sex trafficking. There's addiction. I mean, uh, that makes sense. of Okay, if, if I have that worldview, this is John's worldview. If I have that worldview, a lot of things make sense. But man... Why put that at the end of a letter? I mean, John is closing the letter and he's bringing it all into a summary. And, and he says, the first thing you need to know is that the whole world is in the power of the evil one. And I was looking at this and thinking about it and thinking about conversations. And, you know, I don't think a lot of Christians actually believe that. I think us, because we're great. Um, I think... I'll use me as an example. I can mentally, like, I can get there. Uh, theologically, you run into some problems, right? Who's really in charge? That's, that's a thing. Uh, but, but do I actually believe, like, do I get up in the morning and, like, going out into the devil's world? It's going to be a day. I'm going to suffer. Uh, I mean, and then how does that affect, like, what type of Christian you really are? Because if you believe that, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, man, that's going to change what you do. I mean, that's going to change how much you evangelize and how you care for the poor. Like, now you're entering the, the enemy's territory. You, you live in it. So I think about that, and I think, yeah, I think maybe we can mentally assent there, but do we actually believe it? So then I started going through the New Testament and, like, do we see this other places? In Galatians 1.4, he calls it this present evil age. Ephesians 5.16 warns us to be wise because the days are evil. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age blinds the minds of unbelievers. Ephesians 2.2, 2, the devil's called the prince of the power of the air that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Colossians 1.13 he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That was our adoration verse. So if you're a Christian, that means you were in the world, in the domain that lies in the power of the evil one, and you were transferred out of that domain into the kingdom of God. Which means we have two cosmic powers at war consistently. It doesn't really feel like that. I mean, I don't feel like I'm in a battle every day. I sometimes do, but most of the time I don't. I was at a wedding last night, and my kids were losing their mind. Felt like I was in a battle then. But I don't think those are cosmic powers. Maybe they are. But, but you, you have the kingdom of God, and, and he's got this picture. And I'm thinking, like, think early church. John, he walked with Jesus. He's, he's looking at the church in the, the Ephesian area, and he's like, okay, we've got the kingdom of God, and it's a bunch of little scrappy Christians. And they're gathering, and they're taking communion, and they're like, we're going to love one another. We're going to love God. I'm going to evangelize. And then he's like, and then the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So it's like little Christian group. And then everything else is a bummer. And that, that seems a little intense, doesn't it? I, and then, so this is causing me to feel angsty the last two weeks as I've been working on this thing. And I'm like, oh, man, nothing seems good. Everything seems bad. 
everything. And then the Gospel of John starts out by giving us imagery of Jesus being life, and, and that life is the light of the world, and, and that light penetrates into the darkness. He becomes a man. Christ comes to earth, and, and the darkness combats that light and, and crucifies him, but the light overcomes. The light wins. So we have a decisive victory. It's just not worked all the way out yet. And then, and then Jesus says in John chapter 3 that the world is already condemned and in darkness, but, but Christ comes as light that the darkness hates the light. And the darkness doesn't hate the light because its deeds are evil, but because the light reveals how evil all of their intentions are. I mean, now you're looking at a lot of shame. John 16, 11, Jesus says, as he marches his way to the cross to, to die and resurrect, he says, the ruler of this world is judged. Which is so good. And still, he said, the ruler of this world. There's one ruler of this world, Jesus says, and it's the devil. It's evil. He's been beaten. But he says, what you live in is evil. So then I started thinking about all the different types of evil there are. And meanwhile, I'm reading this book by David Platt that I mentioned earlier, and he's up in the Himalayan mountains, and he's talking about all the diseases that people have and how they're dying left and right, and the Christians are always being killed, and he's dealing with sex trafficking, and, and I'm not chipper, just not. Uh, so, so I'm pretty bummed about the fact that there's a ruler of this evil, that the, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and so that's depressing. And Why does John want us to know? Like, that's a a real question. Why does John want us to know? Why did Jesus want us to know? I mean, he could have just, he could have been like, look, all you need to know is you got to follow me. That's it. You just do what I do. Believe I'm God. I've got it covered. But he informs us. You need to know that you're going back out. And, and he prays over his disciples. Man, I, he says, God, I don't want you to take them out of this world, but leave them here, but get, protect them because the world's going to hate them. And so I think he wants us to know because he wants us to know what is true. He wants us to have a different understanding of the world. And so he has this worldview, but he wants us now, if he's giving us that, he's saying, I need you to have a different understanding of how you're interacting and what you're doing and what's actually going on. And so... Verses 19 through 20, I want to read them together. So we have our worldview in 19 and now a different understanding. Uh, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John Stott uh, made a really interesting comment about verse 19. He says, The world does not struggle to free itself from the embrace of Satan. It lies there, content with what he offers. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So I had this thought. If you're born into darkness, do you understand that it's darkness? Or is it just what you know? I remember uh, 
as a kid, someone asked me how, if, if it was different being raised by a single parent versus having both your parents. And I thought, I don't know. I have no clue because I've only ever experienced a single parent. So how do I compare it to the other? How can I tell you the difference if I, have, I only know one thing? And, and so I think that since every human is born into darkness, they don't really see it as darkness. It's just life. Matter of fact, it might feel like light. Also, I can't say born into the darkness without thinking of Batman and Bane. I apologize. I almost couldn't get through that. But, but the, this concept of being born into darkness and, and not knowing it's darkness, because I, I walk around the streets and I talk to people, and, and they don't, the ones who don't know Jesus, they're not just like, this is dark, I'm in darkness. Some are. But most of them are like, life is great. I'm pursuing the things I want. I, I get to do the things I want. And, and so they don't, they don't understand, like, there's a deeper spiritual thing going on here. There's, there's more than just you working out your job and finding a relationship. There's... There's more things, and so, so they, don't, they don't see it. And, and thinking about this darkness, it made me realize a couple things about how we view God. Uh, one, this gives me a really big view of God and a really small view of me. And what I mean is if, if we're talking on a greatness, then on the greatness scale, God's greatness is huge, and my greatness, if I have any at all, is only attached to what he has done for me. And I think that because if I'm born in the darkness and only understand the darkness, I don't just invent light and work my way to it. No, I can't comprehend it. So I need someone to show me. But then I think of of Jesus talking in John 3, and he's like, man, when you see the light, you're going to hate the light because it reveals your, your heart, and, and you're going to feel shame. And so what I'm going to have to do is rip you into the light. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. This is the greatness of God, that he comes into the darkness and gives you understanding so that you may know him. So, number one, God is great. This this is all a work of him. He rescues you from the darkness. Number two, darkness is comfortable. Man, it is, it's pleasant. Generally, when I think of darkness ruling the earth, I think of sacrificing animals and then people to false gods. I think of witchcraft and and suffering and pain and cults. And it is those things. That's darkness. That's evil. But it's also, if, if the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, it's business. It's politics. It's education and radio and entertainment. It's comfort, it's commercialism, it's philosophy, as in Satan is using all of these things to keep you from worshiping God. Anything that can take the place of God as supreme in your life, that's what he wants. Any goal, any dream, it can even be good things, which is terrible. I mean, none of these things I listed were bad. 
I think of the pursuit of happiness, which uh, if you're a Christian, you're, you're probably not going to have that. Uh, you're going to be hated by the world, Jesus said. You're going to struggle. In the end, you get the ultimate satisfying joy, and you get God now, and you will have moments of happiness. But the pursuit of my personal happiness, that is the great American idol. Like that, that there. Instead, maybe we should think of like, I, I don't need happiness. I want, I want sanctification through this present suffering so I look like Jesus. And Satan has influence over the things that we, we hold on to, the things that we listen to and see. So often the work of darkness is to try to offer you something that seems more appealing than following Jesus. You know, it's, it's interesting because I've been doing ministry for a long time. I mean, not the longest time. I'm only 33. But I started when I was 19, which is not a good idea. And, and so over the time that I have been pastoring in some way, I've seen a lot of people walk away from Christ, and the same, they say the same thing. They're like, I feel so much happier now. I feel so happy. That, what a pleasing idol, a comfortable idol to have. And so their pursuit of their own personal happiness overtook the throne of God and they moved him off and said, I worship that feeling. The problem with that is you're going to suffer still. Making happiness your idol and your God, it's going to let you down. So, you guys feel uplifted so far? That's good. That's good. Closing out 2019, right. So in verses 19 and 20, John is writing to the church, to Christians just like us. And really, there's these two realities he puts forth. forth. Number one, there, Satan is real, and he has power over the world. There is a domain of darkness, and he's going to coax you with whatever he can to get you not to worship Christ. It could be suffering to joy. He will use whatever he can. But though there is the domain of darkness, Christ, who is the light and life, came. And you, as a Christian, have that life. And you're living in a realm of shadows. So you're going to be tempted to go to those dark things. And he constantly, over and over, yes, we are, we're moving away from sin, but he's reassuring, yes, you failed, but Christ has you. Yes, you failed, Christ has you. Because Christ already won. You have the light. You are the light now. And Christ has defeated darkness, and one day we'll remove it completely. And so we have this scary news, but this incredible hope. And he gives us those two realities. And then he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, what's interesting is throughout the book, every time that he's going to start a new pattern, he starts with little children. It's a phrase. It's an important phrase in the book over and over and over. It's establishing rhythms. And, and so you'd think, like, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And then an explanation of how that all comes together. But that's, the, that's like the closing thought. So maybe 
He's talking about the, the ways that they're trying to change who Jesus was. So he's like, hey, that's an idol. If you, if you make Jesus into a different person, you say that he didn't come in the flesh, then that's an idol. I mean, those are definitely idols. We have that. We change Jesus, commercial Jesus, German Jesus. Sorry, Julia. Um, sorry, that just, that's not in my notes. That just happened. Um, but, but we have this, this Americanized Jesus for sure, right? Like that's a thing. Uh, then you go to different countries and you're like, oh, you have your own version too. Wow. It's like different types of Bibles. And, and so we have like that happen. So that's, that's, that could be it. And they could be, John could be referring to the Ephesian idols because they actually had idols. So that was a thing. So maybe they're struggling with that. And that's also a possibility. But I think he's pushing on something deeper and underlying this whole book. As I'm reading through the Gospel of John, I'm circling the word believe every time I see it, and it is insane how many times it pops up over and over and over again. And then you read the book of 1 John, and I mean, right, verse 13, believe, over and over. What do you believe? What do you believe? If you believe this, if you believe this, and then he's pressing on what we believe, but he's also pressing on what we hope for, because if you think about it, what is an idol? It's something that that you worship or serve to get what you want. That's your idolatry. And so, and it's, it's very obvious in, in like Africa where we're going uh, because they will go and they will take a chicken and they'll go to their field and they'll cut off its head and sprinkle the chicken blood and say, okay, now we're gonna have a good crop. And they worship the chicken God. And it's a real like, how could you do that? That's insane. But that's what they believe. And so then we look at the American culture and think, oh, what is... What is our idol? Because they're, they're sacrificing the chicken to the chicken God because they know that if they don't have a good crop, they're going to starve to death. So they worship the, the God to get the food. Really, they're using the God to fulfill themselves. And so what are we... We have to ask, what do you hope for? What do you want? Because the world... This, this system of darkness that is underneath the control and power of Satan, the world will give you what you hope for and what you want to keep you from worshiping Jesus. Satan will make it look so good that you spend all of your time and all of your energy and all of your, your thought space trying to figure out how to get that thing that will fulfill you just to keep you from going to Christ. And don't think like, oh yeah, greed or money or gluttony, although gluttony does seem very fulfilling sometimes. Think movements. Think satisfaction, relationships. Think happiness. One of the common questions uh, I get is, how come we don't see demonic activity in America like we do over there? And I think that's the wrong question. I think the right question is, why don't we want to see it? How does, how does Satan try to coax us from following Christ? And a great example is a commercial. <laughs> like, have you seen a commercial? That's some demonic activity. Uh, beer commercials are the best. Um, Pabst had a commercial that I, I, was, I Googled beer commercials which is the thing I've never done before, actually. Um, but they had this commercial where these guys were like in the office, there was a bunch of dudes, and they're, 
like in the office, it's kind of gray and cloudy, and you can tell it's the end of the work day, and they're just kind of looking out the window, longing to not have to be at work, because that is literally what everybody feels. And, uh, and then they open up PAPS, and boom, they're outside. And they're walking down the road, and, and they see this guy's car, and, you know, the, it's not a great, it's kind of a jalopy. It's not a great car, and, and so they take a sip of the PAPS, and boom, the car changes, and it's bomber. Like, wow, I wish I could do that. Uh, and so then they're driving, and, and so they drink some paps, and boom, they're on the beach, and they're at the beach, and they see these ladies, and they drink another paps, and all of a sudden the ladies are there, probably because they're drunk. That's really what's going on. But, but what it's teaching is like, this will make it work. This will, you'll finally, like, paps is not so subtly saying, if you have this beer, your life will finally be what you want it to be. Drink the beer. Drink the beer. Now, it's kind of base, but what is it that you want that will finally make your life what it could be? Is it the friendship? Is it the relationship? Is it more money? Is it your job? Is it exploring? Is it finally getting a thousand likes on your Instagram? That, you want to see an idol factory, holy cow. And the problem with this, and this is, this is why it's so frustrating, is it is satisfying. Like having the things that you want and that you hope for and that you idolize and getting them, man, it is satisfying for time. That works. I do feel good. My hopes are realized, but, but just temporarily, but they're realized enough that, that I'm okay with now finding a new thing a new pursuit for my happiness, a new hope. And the thing is, they're never going to satisfy eternally, but how do you know unless you've been brought into the light? And then when you're in the light and you're following Christ, you see the shadows of the things that you used to long for and used to hope for, and you want them so bad. But they will never satisfy you. And ultimately, what Christ has shown us in, in our understanding is that we were created by an eternal being. And you being created meant that you were, you were created to experience love and relationship with that created being. And until everything is perfectly redeemed, you're, never, you're not going to feel that totally, which is why the shadows of the things we once hoped for are still there. So it's an interesting thing that John does here because the first half of the epistle is, man, God is light. He comes in and he breaks through the darkness and, and pulls you into the light. And the second half is, is God is love. That, that you're, you're going to get loved by God and that, that you love others and that's how the light breaks through and brings others out of the darkness. And so you are offered something more than the world could ever give you. Eternal, perfect love. Eternal, self-sacrificing love that you were created to experience. And here comes the question. This is why this is so important. Little, little children, keep yourself from idols. What do you really want? What do you really hope for? And the conflict that I'm, I'm having 
and I think hopefully you will enjoy that as well, is that I know I want the love of God, but I want all the idols too. I want them all every day. What do I want more? I think John understands this. I know John understands this. He's a human. I want the love of God. And I have moments when I like, I really want it. I want it more than anything else. And then that minute passes and I'm back to my normal self. Going from longing to longing, trying to fulfill myself, trying to have hope in something. Surely this will make this work. And so I'm stuck in this place, and I think this is where John lands them. He's like, this is the light of Christ. This is the love of God. Let's act that out. But you need to remind yourself every day you're being offered an idol. You're being pulled. And the shadows of the things that you used to love, and I'm calling you to a deeper place of love with God. Because the more we press into the love of God, the less we idolize those other things. Let me rephrase that. I don't know if I believe that. The more we recognize that, that those things don't offer as much as promised. And so John warns us, keep yourself from idols because they distract you from what is true. Him who is true. The true God and eternal life the ultimate desire to be fulfilled, those things will distract you from the love of God. And so every week we come together, and, and this, is, this is why coming together as the saints and, and talking to one another and worshiping together is to remind ourselves always, this is what is important. My, my relationship with God is supreme, and yet I'm an idol factory. And so... We come together and we take communion to remind ourselves that, that this is exactly what Christ knew was coming, that he came into the darkness as the light and, and freed us from the darkness and offers us the supreme love. And, and so he came and he took his disciples and said, this is my body torn for you. And he broke the bread and he dipped it into the wine. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Remember me when you do this, whenever you gather together. And so we take communion remembering that he transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. He is the light that gives life and love. And though we are tempted, though we sin, he has redeemed us so that we could be in relationship with God. And so I'm going to, I'm going to pray and, and, and confess, and then I'm going to leave two minutes of silence for you to confess to God. And Father, uh, thank you for the struggle that I've been having working through this passage. I think it's been very good for me. Um, it's made me think a lot about the state of the world, of creation, how broken it is, but how tricky it is and how easily I am pulled off looking at you. I thank you for your love and the great things Christ has done. And I confess for myself uh, that I want your love supremely, but I also want the idols.
And so Spirit, as we have a moment of silence, I ask that you would help us to confess the things that maybe we have loved more than we have loved God. Amen.